Guys, we'll just pretend that clap was also for the Lord. Yeah, <laughs> both of us can get the claps. Um, they don't even trust me to drag my own pulpit. Do you notice that? I don't know what they think about me. Um, yeah, I don't know what I'm doing with my life yet. I've made many, many plans for my life already, and they all just got like wiped away one by one. And I'm more confused than I've ever been, um, which is what this internship has done to me, which is great. So I've more so learned all the things I don't know how to do. That's what I. That's what I've really learned this internship. No, it's, it's been really good. Being Pastor Nick's intern has been very intense, but it's been very stretching, and it's been really good for me. Um, when I was told I was going to preach, at first I, I wasn't sure what I wanted to talk about. I was like, oh, what, sh- what should I say? And I, I thought about just going to Pastor Nick and being like, hey, Nick, what should I say? What should I say to High Point Church? But I, you know, I thought about that plan for a little while, and I, I realized if I ask Nick what I should preach on, I won't even understand what I'm saying. <laughs> That's like mostly a joke. Uh, and so, so I decided to pick my own topic all by myself. Uh, and so this morning, I'm going to be talking about friendships. I'm going to be talking about friendships. When I, I was talking to Mike before, and when I, he was like, what are you preaching on? I told him I'd be talking about friends. And he said, oh, you hoping to make one? <laughs> I said, thanks. That's really, really encouraging. Uh, it's, you know, it's not something we here talked about very often on a Sunday morning. And that, that makes total sense to me. There are a lot of other really great topics to be talking about. You know, if you've been coming to High Point, you know we've been talking about being a solid, substantive Christian, someone who knows the gospel, who knows the Bible. If you've been coming here, you know we've been talking about living intentionally with God's kingdom in our minds every day. Really big, really important things. You know, I as an intern, I get a lot of people coming into my office and telling me things they want me to do, which is great. Um, So people come to me and they're like, we need to be focused on prayer more, or we gotta be thinking about social justice, let's do that. Or you know, we gotta get people praying for our missionaries, supporting the people we send out across the planet. All super great things. Super great. I have never, at least to this day, had someone come into my office and say, you know what we need? You know what High Point Church needs? We need people to be better friends with each other. Can you figure that out as an intern? How can we do that? What can we do? This never happened. It's not one of the, like, Christian values or things we think of when we think about how to grow as a Christian. And so by the end of this morning, I hope to A, persuade you that Christian friendships are extremely valuable, and B, show you guys some steps you can take uh, if you feel like you need growth in this area. Uh, And I definitely need growth in this area, so I'm mostly preaching to myself this morning, I feel like. Um, So there there are two glaring problems I have seen with our friendships with each other in this church. One, I've seen that there are too few of them happening. And two, I've seen that the ones that do happen are oftentimes not the deepest or greatest quality ever. Okay, so why do I say that? Um, First of all, there are too few of them. There's not enough friendships happening. And I think the reason that this is, is that we are far too picky when it comes to choosing friends. We have a very set of, a very concrete set of qualifications we have in our brain if we expect someone to be even eligible to be our friend. Here's what I'm talking about. This is what we want, for someone to be even considered a possible friend of ours. We want someone we like. Okay, that makes sense, right? We want someone we're like, and we want someone who likes us. 
This is what we want. And we don't want just like one or two of these. We expect all three to be wrapped up in a person for them to be even considered our friend. But the problem with this is this greatly narrows your potential friend list. I mean, imagine if this is what I expected in people. I'd be talking to someone, and I would have to think, oh, wow, this person's so cool, and they're so funny. Oh, and they also, like, are way too into dogs like me. And, you know, they also really love romantic comedies, but, like, don't tell people that, right? Or, and, and they just think I'm hilarious. They think I'm so cool. I'm, like, the greatest intern that came to High Point. You know, if that's what I expected in someone from to be my friend, I would not have many friends. I may have zero friends if that's what I expected. And so we all do this. This is what we expect in a friend. And if someone doesn't have one of these three things, we are happy to move right along and find someone else who does have these. I think the second issue that I've seen with our friendships is that when someone finally does pass that test, when we want to get to know someone, when they qualify, when they meet all those qualifications, we oftentimes aren't going that deep with those friends. A lot of you guys are in small groups, which is awesome. We have a lot of people in small groups at High Point. But do you have someone in your small group who you can call when something's going wrong in your life? Is there someone in your group, is anyone in your group doing that? Where the friendships are close enough, where when you have a marital problem, or when you have conflict in your family, at any time of the day, you give them a call. They're the ones you go to for help. I feel like more often, we do small group and we're like, oh, this is great, Nick gave such a good sermon. And then we talk for like six and a half minutes after the Bible study's over, and then we say, okay, see you next week, have a blessed whatever, and then we don't really talk to him. That's more often what we do. Some of you guys, your friendships suffer because you're like me. And I apologize for that. You like to know a lot of different people, but not a lot of people really know you. This is what I do on a Sunday morning. I love, it's just, it's part of my personality. I love to just talk to like as many different possible people. This is what I do. I get like way too hyped up on coffee and I like run around and like throw jokes at people and then like run somewhere else. I'm just like everywhere. And so it's really easy for me to be friendly with everyone and friends with no one. And if you are kind of an extroverted, crazy person, you might kind of know that. It's, it's easy to have lots and lots of surface-level friendships and not be taking any of those actually deeper at all. And so we have all these arm's-length relationships going on. And so there are just not many of us who have deep, soul-level friendships happening in our church. Now, for some of you, that doesn't really bother you all that much, and that makes sense to me. You know, and this is probably more true of the men in the room, just statistically. Maybe some women too, but more likely men. Because we get busy, and we have a hectic job, and maybe your kids take up all your time. You know, you love your kids, but this year you were like, honey, is there a possibility we could give them away as Christmas presents? Some family would be so lucky to have them, please, can we? Right? Like, you're just overwhelmed. And then the little relational time you actually have, like the time you have just to be with people, you assume should be spent with your spouse and your kids that you couldn't get rid of, right? Like, you don't really need friends. I have too many other things to focus on, so it, it doesn't really bother you all that much. Some of you guys, it, it really does bother you. I gotta believe there are people in this room who are just lonely. 
who are just lonely. They are hungry for a friendship. And that might be you. You might be hungry for a friendship. And you come to church and you want to talk to people, but it just never happens. You see people, you're like, oh, they're kind of busy, and then you don't actually talk to them, and, and you don't really know how to break out of that cycle. So some of you in here, you, you, are, you really do want this, and you're just not sure how to get it. Now, whether you think that you want more friends, or you need more friends, or this is important or not, the truth is, this is something Jesus talks about. This is one of the most critical topics that Jesus actually goes into. And so we're going to open up to a passage this morning. We're going to flip to John chapter 15. This is page 1643 in the Bibles in front of you. Page 1643. And we're going to be starting in verse 12. And I want to show you from this passage... Not only that Jesus thinks friendships with each other between Christians is important, but even more so the level of depth and quality Jesus is expecting your friendships to have. So this is a, a passage. Jesus is hanging out with his disciples. This is close to the time he is going to be arrested and taken off to be crucified. So he's hanging with his good buddies. And this is actually the last recorded speech Jesus gave to his disciples that John talks about. And so this is near the end. And so Jesus knows what's happening. And he's got his disciples gather around him. This is how he starts out. This is verse 12. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. And so now don't get confused. You don't see the word friendship here. We're going to see in a minute this whole passage is framed in the context of friendship. So he doesn't use the word here. But that's exactly what Jesus is talking about. And so don't miss this. Look at how Jesus starts this. My command is this. My command, this is the one time in the Gospels where Jesus points to one specific thing and says, this is from me. This is my command. There's a whole bunch of times where he's like, these are many of my commandments. Do all these things. Here he's like, guys, this is from me. My command. What is he referring to? He's talking about Christians loving each other. This is about Christians loving each other. Christians. This is not about Christians loving people outside the church. That's totally important, but that's a different sermon. This is Jesus saying, hey, Christians, love Christians. And you might hear that and think, oh, that's not so bad. I can do that. It's loving people outside the church who hate us. That's what's hard. People who don't want anything to do with us, loving those people who are so different from us. That's, that's, the, that's the tough part. And this would be a pretty easy command. Oh, like loving people in church. This would be an easy command if it wasn't for those last five words. What are they? As I have loved you. Let's all say those five words together. As I have loved you. Let's say it one more time. As I have loved you. This is what this means for us in a single sentence this morning. This is what I'll be preaching on for the rest of the morning. It's wrapped up in this. Jesus requires... Jesus-inspired friendship. Jesus requires Jesus-inspired friendship. If you are here and you follow Jesus, he has a requirement for every one of you. 
And that is to have Christian friends that is inspired by the friendship Jesus has with you. That is his requirement for you, to have friendships with each other that mimics the type of friendship Jesus has with you. Christians, love each other as I have loved you. Now, here's what this does not mean. This does not mean, oh, Jesus, like, ate bread with people, and if I, like, eat bread with people, I'm loving like Jesus does, right? This does not mean, like, oh, Jesus just, like, hung out with people, so if I just hang out with people, I'm loving like Jesus does. This is way bigger than that. Jesus is saying, anything I've done for you, any way I've loved you, no matter how extreme, that is exactly how you are to love one another. That's an insane benchmark. If you really think about how Jesus loved people, that is an insane benchmark Jesus is expecting us to get to. And because we see how insane of a benchmark that is, we just kind of accept a much lower standard. We say, you know, well, if I love people kind of, sort of, the way Jesus loved people, I must be doing this. If there's a similarity, if there's some resemblance to the way Jesus loves me, I'm doing this. That's not what Jesus says here. He says, love each other no less. Exactly the quality, exactly the demonstration that I have loved you, that's exactly how you, to, you are to love your Christian friends. Jesus requires Jesus-inspired friendship. And so, what's hard with a command like this, for us, we don't like this command, love each other as I have loved you. We don't like that. We like the commands that we know we can win at. That's what we would rather have. Hey, Christians, read your Bible. Hey, Christians, don't have sex with someone you're not married to. Hey, Christians, join a small group. Be nice to each other. Right? You're like, oh, I can do this. This is a box I can check, right? I joined a small group. Check. I'm winning. High fives all around. Right? Oh, cool. I did not have sex with my not spouse today. Awesome. I'm doing Christianity. We don't like loving each other as Jesus loved us. That is not a box that you can just check. You don't know if you're succeeding at it. And so we don't even try. We don't even try. Because we don't know if we can win at it. And so it drops from our list of priorities. I think there is one way we do try and decide if we're doing this. There's one way we think about, okay, am I, am I succeeding at this? You know what we do? We just look to the other Christians around us. We say, you know, if I'm being as nice as the other nice Christians in church, then I must be doing this right. But you know what happens when we all think that way? As we get a bunch of big, nice churches filled with nice people being so nice to each other. That is not Christian friendship. That is not what Jesus tells us to do. He does not say, hey, Christians, be nice to each other. He does not say, hey, Christians, love each other as they have so nicely loved you. He says, love each other as I have loved you. And that is a very different benchmark for us to be hitting in our Christian friendships. That requires a lot more of us. Jesus requires Jesus-inspired friendship. And so how can we do this? How can we have the friendships 
that Jesus wants us to have. How can we know we're winning at this? Or at least attempting to win at this. I have three principles for you guys this morning that I'm going to be sharing from the rest of this passage, from the rest of this speech Jesus is giving to his disciples. And it's going to help us know how we actually do this. What do we actually have to do? And so this first principle is to lay your life down. Lay your life down. Jesus, he is going on, he's talking to his disciples, and he continues this way. This is verse 13. He says, greater love has no one than this. Greater love has no one than this. And this is kind of a tricky phrase. You're kind of like, what is he talking about? What Jesus is saying here, he's saying the thing that's going to continue in this sentence, the thing I'm about to refer to is the greatest possible act of love that you could ever do. You, like you, you physically, it is impossible to show love to a friend more than this. So what's the thing he's talking about? He says, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life. This is the greatest you could love someone. This is a point you probably would not want to argue with Jesus on because it's, it makes sense. It's hard to imagine loving someone greater than this than to offer up your own life for them. And we as the readers, we know what's about to happen. We know exactly what's about to happen. Jesus is about to be arrested. He's about to be taken into captivity. He'll be beaten. He'll be bruised. He'll be mocked. He'll stumble bloody to the cross where he will be nailed to it. He's going to lay down his life for the guys sitting around him. The greatest act of love that could ever be displayed. And in this passage, he gets specific too. He doesn't just say, hey, lay down your life. He says what? He says, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. For one's friends. This passage is about friendship. And our laying down our lives for our friends is based on the fact that Jesus already laid down his life for us. And we are his friends. Do you see what he's saying when he says, love each other as I have loved you? He's saying, hey, be willing to lay your life down for your friends. Jesus is talking to his disciples, the guys he has done life with, the guys he has spent time with, that he's taught, that he's walked with. He's about to lay his life down for them. And this is exactly, this is a core element of Jesus-inspired friendship. This is what it looks like for Christians to be friends with each other. We lay our lives down for each other. Now, does this mean you go and you die for someone? Probably not. Does this mean you should sell your house and your kids and your dog because you'd kind of like to sell your kids maybe? That's not what that means. That you, you don't just give things up for the sake of being self-sacrificing. This means that you are cued into the needs of your friends. You are absolutely fully aware of what they need. You make their well-being your business. When you're cued in on those needs, that's when you start to hold your stuff a whole lot more loosely. Because you know, you know everything you are, everything you own, is eligible to being laid down for the well-being of your friends. And so you hold your stuff, your pleasures, your pursuits a whole lot more loosely because they are all being willing to being given up for the well-being of your friends. Lay down your life for your Christian friends. That is the standard that Jesus expects us to have for each other. Now, this is not the way we typically operate, okay? This is not the way we typically operate. 
Um, I think there's a couple reasons for that. First reason is our culture has not bred us to think this way. What does our culture tell us to do? It tells us to work and work and strive and go after success as best you can and don't let anyone get in your way. Don't let anyone stop you. We're all told we should have friends, but your friends should not slow you down in any way. If they do slow you down, you should get rid of them and find easier friends, right? Jesus says your friends, if they are a Jesus-inspired friendship, will slow you down. They have to. If your friends are not slowing you down or costing you anything, they're not a friend in the way Jesus describes real friendship. Your friends will cost you something because your concern is their well-being, their spiritual and emotional well-being, whatever they need. That's what you're after, and you're willing to slow your progress down for them. That is not the way our culture has bred us to think about our friends. I think another thing some of you might be thinking, some of you might be like, hmm, I just don't really, I don't really see a way to do this. You think about the friends you have, and you're like, my friends seem fine, right? Um, I don't really know how to lay my life down for them. Now, one of the reasons that might be is that you may have intentionally surrounded yourself around people who don't really need anything from you. When we see someone who has a clear, obvious, upfront need, we say, oh, I don't want to be that person's friend. We love to surround ourselves with all the most low-maintenance, easy friendships imaginable. And so then you're like, oh, how do I lay myself down? Well, you've just chosen friends whose needs are buried so deep that you don't actually get to them ever. And part of that might be because you don't know your friends well enough to know their needs, and that's actually going to be a part of principle too. But I think part of the problem is we just surround ourselves with people who are very low maintenance, and then we don't really feel like we have to lay down anything for them. I think the last issue with this, the last reason we don't operate this way, is that we just are very quick to assume we're already doing this. We're very quick. We lay our lives down in like the smallest way, and we will pat ourselves on the back. Just a few months ago, I was, I helped a couple people move. It was like back to back to back. It was like every Saturday for like a month. And you know, I'm like the guy who, like my body hasn't given out yet, like some of you guys. And you know, I'm the one who gets like the heaviest couches. And, and so I was tired after these days. And I was like, I've got no Saturdays, right? But man, I felt so good about myself. Look at me laying my life down, right? I should get to eat a whole cake or something. We're just so quick, and it's true for all of us. You bake cookies for someone, and you're like, I'm doing it, laying down my life for the Lord Jesus, right? Or like, oh wow, I drove someone to church who was four and a half minutes out of my way. I'm really doing this. Okay, the last time I checked, you do not need Jesus as your inspiration to bake cookies for someone. People who don't know Jesus bake cookies for each other. They do it often. And we do these like little things, and we're like, I'm doing it. Jesus certainly includes these little things in his demand, but certainly laying down our lives for each other looks a little more than that. And so some of, those are some of the ways we don't often operate this way. And so we're going to get more into how we actually can lay our lives down for our friends, but I, I'm going to reveal the next point, because I think point one, principle one, and principle two work well in having a Jesus-inspired friendship. And Jesus requires Jesus-inspired friendship. 
So our first principle is to lay your life down. The second principle, and this one is hard, this one is hard for all of us, is reveal your real self. Reveal your real self. Jesus had his disciples, and they were invited in. They were let into his inner circle, right? If you notice in the parables and stuff like that, Jesus kind of like took the disciples aside and were like, this is what this means, right? And he just didn't let everyone else in on things. But he revealed himself to his disciples. Here's how he says this. He says, I no longer call you servants. This is down, this is, yeah, verse 13. Uh, yeah, uh, I think this is verse 15. Um, it says, no longer do I call you servants. And you might be thinking, oh, that's, that's kind of weird. We're supposed to be servants, right? Like, why doesn't Jesus call them servants? And it's true. It is a great thing. It is a great privilege to be a servant of Jesus. And we are often can refer to ourselves as servants. But Jesus is about to say that they are even more than just a servant. Why? He says, because a servant does not know his master's business. So a master could have servants, and the servants could get all the orders from the master, and they could do all their work. But a servant typically in that day and age didn't actually know anything about the master himself. He didn't know why he was doing this. He didn't know anything about the master's thoughts or, or what the master really did. And so Jesus see, doesn't see his disciples this way. He says, Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. Everything. Everything God the Father has made known to Jesus, the disciples were let in on. That inner circle, that community of the Trinity, the disciples have full access to. You know, when I was a kid, I always saw the, like, cool popular crowd, and I was like, oh, if only I was in that, right? Then I would know. You know, it's kind of like we're, like, invited in to the, like, Trinity crowd, right? Like, us as Christians, Jesus does not hold things back from us. He invites us in. He's transparent. He reveals everything to us, all his wills, all his thoughts. They're made known to you. Jesus is entirely transparent with us, and that is exactly how we are to be with each other. We are to be completely open and reveal ourselves with our Christian friends. We've got to get to the point in our friendships where we don't have things hidden between each other, where we have showed our true selves. We've showed our friends our dreams and our hopes. We've showed our sin. We've showed our struggles and our doubts. You have showed your real self. That is Jesus-inspired friendship to reveal your real self. It's exactly what Jesus did for us, and it's exactly what we do with each other. Now, there's a few reasons we don't operate this way either in our daily lives. The first reason, and I think this is true for probably anyone, is that it is scary. It is scary to reveal your real self, to let someone in, invite them to see who you really are. It's terrifying, and it goes beyond like, oh, I really like the Twilight movies. If they find that out, they'll just run away, right? It, it, go, it goes beyond like silly little things. A lot of you guys have deep things in your lives that you want to change. And you know if you start getting deep with a friend, if you start opening up, showing them who you are, you know that thing's going to come up. You know it's going to be uncovered that you are deeply depressed. You know it'll come up that you have an eating disorder. You know eventually that you have to tell them that you've gotten a divorce. There's a lot of us have things, and so because we don't want them to dig deep enough to find that thing, 
we just keep everyone at arm's length. We keep ourselves in the dark where it is comfortable. And then everyone can just look at us as this well put together person. And I think this is true for a lot of us. It's just scary. I think there's a, another reason we don't want to reveal ourselves. Just beyond that. You know, sometimes we have that thing that we know should change, but you don't want it to change if you are honest with yourself. You've got a sin that you know if you open up to an, another actual Christian, they're going to, you know, help you try and fight it and help you try and get over it and help you try and kill it. But you don't really want that. You know, Pastor Nick has talked about this before. You know, struggling with sin, it can mean one of two things. It can mean you are strangling it and killing it every day. Or it can mean you are petting it and feeding it and snuggling up beside it and keeping it as your best friend and keeping it nice and hidden because you don't want to get rid of it. You don't want to get rid of it. And so you also stay in the dark and keep yourself nice and comfortable from all the Christians around you because you want that thing. You want that thing that you know should change, but you don't want to give it up. And so you don't want to tell anyone about it. Sometimes you might be in a friendship, you know, and you guys are getting to know each other and it's starting to get deep. But you're always kind of waiting for them to be the one to take the next step. You're always wondering if they're going to be the one to go deeper next. And so you both are kind of just like waiting, like, oh, do they want to go deeper? Do they want to go deeper? And then neither of you end up really revealing your real self. That's the third reason we don't do this. Sometimes we just wait for the other person to take the initiative. I think the fourth and final reason that we don't normally operate this way is that we're just prideful. We just think, you know, I've revealed myself. I've gotten vulnerable with my spouse or my goldfish, and, you know, they're the only ones that need to know who I really am. You know, I, I got a busy life. I got stuff to do. You look at, like, getting vulnerable and, you know, having accountability and confessing stuff. Like, that to you is, like, something the weak do. Something that people have, like, all these insecurities and all these central. Like, they're, they're the people that should be doing that. And so you just, you just don't do it. Now, it, it, I understand all those reasons. I personally resonate with every one of those reasons for not opening up. Um, but I, I have found that even though it is scary, and even though a lot of times our fears do come true, opening up and revealing yourself to someone else has been incredibly beneficial in my life. So many of the ways that God has shaped me, so many of the things God has taught me has been through Christian friends that I am myself with, that I am open with, that I talk about the Lord with, that I challenge, that they challenge me. It's just, it is like one of the main ways that God shapes my life. You know, I like reading books, Christian books. I like listening to sermons. All this stuff is great, but one of the main things that God, like, has things stick with me, things that go deep, that I'm like, oh, this is, this is true of me. That, that happens because other friends and I have, like, talked about it and reasoned through it. And I mean, the only way that sin has been overcome in my life has been by opening up about it. Not, like, nothing that's been kept in the dark have I overcome. And I, it's... The more that I kind of meet people and the more I think about Christianity and what it means, and I'm still trying to figure all this out, I've just found there, there is no such thing as a lone wolf Christian. There's no such thing. You, you can't. It seems, at least to me right now, it just seems impossible to really grow, to really become a substantive Christian we've been talking about. 
if you don't have friends that you are doing Christianity with, it's the way we were designed. We were intended to go together, to march together, to drag each other along. That is the way we were designed to do Christianity. And so if you're looking to do this, if you're looking to start revealing yourself, I've just got two very simple but very practical steps you can take to do this. First practical step, you've just got to start seeing your Christian friends outside of church. Just, just very simple. If you only see your Christian friends in a small group or in church, you probably have not really revealed your real self to them. Because it's just a very narrow window, window that they are actually seeing you in. So you got to start inviting them to your house. You got to start doing stuff with them. I've seen this work in my life recently with with Vince. Uh, so Vince, he's a pastoral fellow. He um, he and I work together, um, and we have seriously pushed each other in our faith. We have confessed everything to each other. We've talked about our struggles. We've talked about the things that the Lord really puts on our heart. We've just kind of done Christianity together, and it, it didn't start happening from just working together, from seeing each other in one context. It started really going when we started doing stuff outside of work. He kept being like, hey, come work out with me. Come work out with me. And I was like, uh. And then he was like, no, come work out with me. And I was like, fine. And so I got a gym membership, and now we work out together. And we hang out in groups, and we, I don't know, we just hang out. And we see each other in many different contexts. And that's when these conversations just started happening. And so that's what some of you've got to do. You're, you're not going to reveal your real self and really go deep with a friend if you're only seeing them in church, because then it's the, like, five-minute, you know, how are your kids? How's your whatevers? Great. That's sort of interesting. See you next week. Great. It's, all your friendships will be left on that level. So start bringing them into the other context of your life. Another just super practical step. That is step one. Step two I almost didn't even need to say this, but I, I think I've got to. You have to talk about Jesus together when you're together, okay? It is so easy for us to, like, just talk about football or Donald Trump or something. It is so easy for us to do that. It is not natural because they're not doing it. You're not doing it. You need to be like, hey, let's talk about this Jesus thing together and, like, read the Bible together or pray together or check in on each other. You've, you've got to do that. A Christian friend who you just talk about sports with is not an actual Jesus-inspired friendship. You don't need Jesus as an inspiration for that. And so you've just got to actually start talking about Jesus together. These are the friends that you have to be confessing your sin to. You've got to open up about that stuff. These are the friends who you need to call out the things in their life that they're not actually seeing about themselves. You gotta be like, hey, you're being like kind of an idiot, but I love you, and so I'm gonna help you be a less big idiot. Okay, like, that's uncomfortable, but you've gotta do it. And, and this is how principle one and two just work well together. Because as soon as you have revealed yourself to someone, as soon as you have friends who know you, and you know them, and you have revealed yourself, and you have gone deep, and you have shared yourself with them, you'll find lots of reasons and lots of ways to lay your life down for them. Because these are the friends you know when they're having a marital problem. These are the friends you know when they have a health need. These are the friends you know when they're making a huge decision, right? These are the friends who you, like, become second parents to their kids. These are the friends that you can pray specifically for every day and not just say, oh, I'm going to pray for you. Like, 
put it on your phone, write it on your bathroom mirror, do something, specifically pray for them every day. Once you know them, you have the opportunity to really lay your life down for them. You lay your life down for them by calling them out on things. It's uncomfortable. We don't like doing it. Lay your life down. Call them out. Help them grow. These are the friends you lay down your pride for and you confess and you get open about your doubts and your struggles. And these two just kind of cycle together. You have those friends who you are talking about Jesus and you are talking about your struggles and you are growing together. These two just work well together. And so uh, this third principle is going to help us kind of manage these first two. Because you've kind of noticed this is not something you can necessarily do with every person in this church, right? These are principles that are helpful in, in any conversation you have with a Christian. You can certainly think, oh, how can I lay my life down for you? How can I be vulnerable and just genuine in a church conversation? How can I serve you? These are, these are great things. But I think the depth of Jesus-inspired friendship, the thing that Jesus requires, Jesus requires Jesus-inspired friendship, is best found when we do this, when we do principle three. So I'm going to put up the verse first. Uh, this is down in verse 16. Jesus says this. He says, you did not choose me but I chose you. Okay, this has been a very one-sided friendship this whole time. Jesus initiated. He's sitting around with his disciples, and he hand-selected them, and he focused in on them. He got very intentional. He did things specifically with his disciples. And even beyond just the 12, Jesus even was more specific with three of them. There was three that were like kind of his favorites. I don't know if there was like jealousy or not, but there was three. The Son of God narrowed his focus on three. And so this is what we have to do. We have to focus on a few. We have to focus on a few. You're not going to be able to reveal yourself to everyone. You also cannot reveal your real self to no one. You have to have someone you're doing this with. You've got to focus on a few. You cannot lay your life down for everyone in this room. But you also can't lay your life down for no one. And so you've got to focus on a few. And so I think there are two reactions to that when I say that. Um, some of you are like, how do I focus on a few when there are so many options? I know everyone. What do I, how do I do this? And then the second reaction is, Hmm, where are these few I'm supposed to be focused on? I'm not really sure. And so uh, let's talk about each of those. If you are like an extroverted, crazy person who loves to know everyone, it's great. And we need people like you in this church. We need people who make all the introverts feel like really uncomfortable. I'm proud of you guys. So we need people like that. But you've got to find a way to narrow in your focus. Hone in who you get actually intentional with. I've seen Mike Beresford do this really, really well in my life. Mike is one of these guys who says hi to everyone. He knows everyone. He's been here for like 25 minutes and he like knows half of Madison and you're like, how does he do this? I don't know. That's just how he is and he's not going to stop doing that. Lord knows he's not going to stop. He's going to have a broad social circle and that is great. Uh, but a few months ago, Mike came to me and a couple other guys and he said, hey, let's meet up once a week. Let's read this book. Let's talk about Jesus. Let's talk about God together. It's been super great for our walk with God. I think for his walk with God, hopefully. I don't know. You can ask him about that. Um, but he, he knows he can't do this with everyone. And so he has chose to focus in on a few, to make it count. He knows his influence would be very diluted if he tried to do this with everyone. And so he has focused in on a few. 
And so it's not bad to know lots of people. And we need people who know lots of people, but you've got to focus in on a few. Some of you, you don't know who to focus in on. Maybe you've been in Madison for a while, and you, but you just haven't found your best friends yet, and you're not really sure why that is. And so I think why that is, is that you do not find friends, you make friends, okay? You do not find friends, you make friends. Do you remember in the Fellowship of the Ring where all the goblins were like pouring out of the ceiling, right? That is not how friends work, okay? Friends are not going to come like crawling toward you. You've got to go and make them. You know, when you went to camp as a kid and you like, you did not find a bunch of friends there, you made a bunch of friends. You did all these like activities together and you thought you were so funny and you like raided the girls' cabin and stuff. Like you did things together and the truth is like real life doesn't really naturally cultivate those kinds of friendships as easily. And so you do. You have to put yourself out there. It is a very simple thing, but we need to say hi to more people on a Sunday morning. I think all of us can do better at this. We need more people introducing. This is, this is hard for all of us. This is like a big step, I think, for a lot of people. Even for me, even for me, going up to someone I have never talked to is like kind of scary. But we need way more of that happening. We need way more people going up and saying, you know, hi, let's get to know each other. You just also have to start coming to things. You know, we've got small groups. We've got men's and women's groups. Um, I don't know if you guys remember a couple weeks ago, Nick Gibson. I'm, I'm staying in Pastor Nick's house. And Nick had joked about, like, what if I threw a big party at his house? I literally am throwing a New Year's Eve party at his house, um, which will be kind of scary. He was like, as long as Lexi comes back to a clean house, it's fine. I was like, okay. Um, but for the, like, the 20-somethings, we've got a 20-somethings group in the church. And that's who this New Year's Eve party is for. So if you're in your 20s, come to the New Year's Eve party. Come meet us. I'll be there. It'll be great. Like, you, you just got to start coming to things and getting to know people. If you know people, you know potential friends. And so you've got to focus on just finding those few. And that's a, a, can be a really difficult thing. And it might take you some time, right? It might take some time for that to happen. Um, I think there might be two potential um, problems some of you are kind of coming up with as you've heard me uh, go on about this. There might be two things some of you might be thinking. First thing, um, some of you might be like, this sounds like this is time-consuming. To have a Jesus-inspired friendship, to lay down my life, to reveal my real self, to go out and choose and, and focus in on a few people, that sounds like it takes a lot of time. And you might be looking at me and thinking, okay, that guy has no idea what it is like to have four kids who are in middle school and below. That is true. I have no idea what a, that feels like at all. That's like a different universe to me still. I'm like, I don't even know. Um, and you are also right that this takes time. A Jesus-inspired friendship does take time. You need to actually spend time with that person. I think the one thing that I can say to that is that I know for a fact that there are Christians at all life stages in High Point Church who are doing this, who are living out Jesus-inspired friendships with a few people. I know for a fact there are Christians at every life stage, there are Christians as busy as you who are doing this were making friends and going deep with them and making time for them outside of their spouse, outside of their kids. I just, I just know for a fact. And it's just one of the things for most of the Christians I really look up to. This is a, just a core thing for them, to have friends they're going deep with. It's just very common. And so there are people as busy as you doing this. So you've got to find a way to make it work. It is not going to look exactly like it looks for me. You know, you might have to do a Friday night family game thing or, you know, do a Tuesday morning breakfast with a couple guys. I don't know what it's going to look like for you, but 
Jesus requires Jesus-inspired friendship. This is absolutely a requirement for life, and see, you just, you gotta find a way to make it work somehow. I think the second issue maybe some of you are kind of coming up with in your brains is, isn't this too inward-focused? You know, like, we're supposed to have friends with people outside the church, right? Isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? Yes. Absolutely true. We're supposed to be doing that. That's super important. But the truth is, our witness to the world and our Christian friendships are very closely intertwined. And so we're going to be looking at, just to end here, we're going to be looking at an earlier portion of this speech. Jesus is having this speech with his disciples. And so this is just coming a couple chapters before, in chapter 13. So this is what Jesus says. This is in the same conversation. He says, A new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. This is the same thing. Same thing he's talking about. Have Jesus-inspired friendship. Jesus requires Jesus-inspired friendship. Same thing. I could have preached the same passage, everything I've been going on about. But now he's going to go on. He's going to say, really, a big reason why this matters. What this does to the world around us. He says, by this, that is Jesus-inspired friendships, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Everyone will know. He does not say, everyone will know you are my disciples by how holy you are. He does not say, they will know you are my disciples by how often you go to church. In this passage, he does not say, hey, they'll know you're a Christian based on how much of the Bible you know. The world will not know we are Christians based on the music we listen to, based on who we vote for. They will not know you are a Christian based on how much you tithe. They will know you are a Christian by how much you love other Christians. A Jesus-inspired friendship is one of the most purest and clearest and most tangible, visible representation of who Jesus is. Because it is two people who have been loved so deeply, who have the best friend you could ever imagine. Jesus Christ, the one who died for them, who loves them, who gives us eternal life. Extending that love to another human being, that is a visible representation of the love of a Savior. That Savior, Jesus. A Jesus-inspired friendship absolutely has something divine in it. It points to the creator of all things. And so we have Jesus-inspired friendships not just because you need it, not just because they need it. The world needs it. By this, everyone will know they are my disciples, how we love one another. Jesus requires Jesus-inspired friendship. And it matters to the world watching. It matters. They'll see Jesus in it. They'll see something different. They do friendships differently. Jesus requires Jesus-inspired friendship. Here are our principles. Principle one, lay your life down. Principle two, reveal your real self. And principle three, focus on a few. And I wanted to leave you guys with a challenge, okay? I wanted to leave you with something how you can kind of take all this and think practically about it and take a step forward. I'm calling it the one, two, three, four challenge. Have you guys heard of this? Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Okay, you don't know what I'm talking about because I made it up. Um, <laughs> and I'm going to teach you it right now. Um, this is the one, two, three, four challenge. 
Choose one to three for Jesus-inspired friendship. Choose one to three for Jesus-inspired friendship. Do you guys see it? Do you guys see the, the one, two, three, four? Look. Choose one, two, three, four, Jesus-inspired friendship, all right? Wait, do you guys see it? Okay, there we go. So, <laughs> you need to choose one to three. That is one to three people. That is one to three Christians. They might go to this church. They probably, maybe they should, I don't know. Choose them and have a Jesus-inspired friendship with them. Choose one to three for Jesus-inspired friendship. You cannot lay your life down for everyone. You cannot reveal yourself to everyone. So choose one to three. Reveal yourself to them. Lay your life down for them. It will matter for you, it will matter for them, and it will matter for the world that's watching. Choose one to three for Jesus-inspired friendship. This is how Jesus is going to grow us. Jesus is going to use it to change our lives. And to change the people who come into this church, they're going to see friendship happening. And so as the band comes back up right now, I just want to challenge you guys to write down one to three names. One to three names of people that you think you can have a Jesus-inspired friendship with. And go for it. Jesus requires it for your life, and he will do things with it. He'll do things in your life, he will do things in their life, and he will change the world that's watching it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, I thank you that um, you are the greatest friend we could ever have, Lord. Um, Father God, we love you. We thank you for your sacrifice for us. Jesus, you've given everything for us, and we love you. I pray that we can have friendships that mimic your friendship with us, that we can love each other as you have loved us. God, help us with that. In Jesus' name, amen.